Today on Cutting Oranges, I'm chatting with Akech Makur Choit. Akech has lived an incredible life. She's a 28-year-old South Sudanese refugee who plays footy for the AFL powerhouse, Richmond. Akech is smart, articulate, and in my eyes, the best kind of influencer. I can't wait for you to hear our conversation. Akech Makua Choit, 28 years living on this earth, a Richmond footballer living many people's dream as an AFLW player. Um, when I was planning this series, I had to write down a list of people who I wanted to chat to and you straight away, straight on my list, I was like, I need to chat to a catch. Um, so we're sort of going to, I guess, trace a little bit through your life. Um, I'm sure quite a few people have learnt a little bit about your story, but um, we're going to just step through it, I guess. Um, so you were born in South Sudan. Uh, and you spent the first 12 years of your life living in a refugee camp um, as your family uh, fled war in Sudan. Can you tell me a little bit about that experience? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I always got asked this question a lot. And, and my story, there's so many different elements to it that mm. um, if, if you're not familiar with the whole process of you know how people become refugees, how people end up as refugees and why people have to go to other countries um, for, for safety and stuff like that, you will never understand it. But for me, um, I guess I'm, I'm in a privileged situation where I get to kind of shine light to, you know, what it takes to be a refugee and why people become refugees. And hopefully me telling my story is going to be able to give other people the opportunity to tell their own stories as well. Um, as for me, um, my journey started back in South Sudan, 1992, um, dad passed away in January, I think January the 22nd. And um, a month later, mum, like, like during the mourning process, they found out that mum was pregnant. And mum wasn't just pregnant uh, by herself. Dad was married to seven wives. Um, so three of his wives were pregnant at the same time. So I got two other sisters um, named Akenyama Kurichwat. I'm the youngest of the three. Um, and in the South Sudanese culture, Akech, is basically the the big the, the end of that that generation. So that's what it means in in the Sudanese culture. So when dad passed away, they found out mum was pregnant, um, and then from that time on, my name was going to be a catch the whole time um, with my other two sisters. So um, it was a very interesting time for mum. She was I think twenty three at the time when she um, felt pregnant with me, um, and you know, being twenty three having four other kids and then your fifth child's on the way and then you lose your husband and it was just a weight of all these responsibilities on her shoulder as this young woman that's just you know they just met with with dad and they were they were pretty much starting the rest of their life together and this this unfortunate incident happened and it was basically because because of a tribal um conflict that was going on so that's how dad and a lot of his um, brothers and cousins uh, passed away on the same day. Um, so I was born later that year, 92, the end of it. Um, and then, um, yeah, mum got really unwell with her eye. She had an eye infection. And the medical resources in South Sudan at the time just were not able to facilitate for her, um, I guess, the, the, the medical treatment that she needed. So we had to go to Kenya um, and she took myself and my auntie, her younger sister, and we set off on this unknown adventure, like this unknown um, trip to Kenya, which is two other countries away. And it was, um, yeah, it was a very long process just to get to there because she, um, income wise, she didn't have like income. Um, she didn't speak the language. Um, she only spoke Arabic, in, um, Dinka, um, and a bit of Hamaric. So mum taught herself how to speak a, a range of different languages. She even speaks French. She's really cute. Um, <laughs> just, it's funny like that, my mum. <laughs> She's usually cute. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, how did you even learn French? But I was like, anyways, that's a story for another day. Um, and so, yeah, we set up on this adventure to to Kenya. There was a lot of things that happened on the way. Um, there was... Um, 
we we stayed in this village um, for a couple of days um, on the way to Kenya, and she told me the story of how um, they they dropped some like antinobs, um, so bombs basically dropped in the village, mm-hmm. um, and pretty much people dispersed, and I pretty much disappeared because some man took me with their family. Um, so I was separated from my mum for like a good three, four hours. Um, and that was a really scary time for her because um, she, she, this is her three-month baby that's missing because of this conflict that just happened. Um, and, yeah, luckily they found me in a refuge centre um, later on that, that day. Um, and then, yeah, we continued our adventure out to Kenya. Um, we ended up um, in Nairobi. Um, and then, yeah, luckily for mum, she had a uncle there who was able to, I guess, just help her with some financial assistance so that she can get the medical treatment that she needed. Um, and then, yeah, we just stayed in Kenya um, from then. So we got there, I think, late, early 93. Um, and we just stayed in Kenya um, until 97 when the rest of my siblings who were left in South Sudan mm-hmm. um, were then able to join us um, and then we moved to the Kakuma refugee camp um, and the, basically um, we started our whole visa process to come to Australia so yeah. Mm. So you would have spent how many years in the refugee camp? Um, so all up together um, so I came to Australia when I was 11 so I spent mm-hmm. 11 years um, there yep. um, so I was turning 12 that year when we left um, so um, yeah, 11 years um, in, in, in Kakuma, so, mm. yeah. It's pretty amazing. And I, and I think, um, I know you get asked so often, but I think people have a really, like, just not much knowledge around, um, like, the stories of refugees. And um, when we talk about refugees coming to Australia, I think often people lack that compassion and understanding of, the journey that you've taken to actually come here and like you you have you have an amazing story um so we're really privileged that you're able to share that and um i guess just show more parts of yourself and and build that understanding with the wider australian community so we're we're really privileged to have you um using your voice in that way um thank you no we're very lucky uh but i was gonna say so your uncle was from perth and that's how you were able to come to Australia, is that right? He was your sponsor? Yeah, so basically the way, I think the another thing that, uh, another myth that people have here in Australia is that, you know, refugees, um, you just get given this ticket and you're off, mm. you, you, you come. And yeah. for us as our family, um, there was, I think, nine, ten of us in our form. Um, and at the time, the Australian government decided that they wanted to, um, allow people to come over from overseas. Um, so um, obviously you have to stay in the refugee camp to to have a refugee status. Like you couldn't just come to Australia as mm. as anyone. So that's why we had to stay in the camp. Um, and the camp is offered offered schools. We're able to go to school, mm-hmm. um, and it just oft- offered a bit of safety. As a lot of people were fleeing from their countries because of conflict, persecution, lack of resources. Like in my mum's case, um, etc. So. Um, we lived next to our uncle who was like just behind like his his our house and their house were like b- back of each other mm-hmm. so he lived next door and then he he came to Australia a lot earlier than everyone else um, and then um, yeah he was just a really good support system when we were there um, and then when we started our, our whole process to come to Australia it's you got to go and do medical checks and the Australian government wants to ensure that people that are coming to the country are people that can contribute back to society, people that can work, people that can pay taxes um, in the lot. Like I've been paying my taxes and everything else for a long time and there's still a lot of negative people like stereotypes where it's like, oh, you're taking our money. And it's like, actually, I'm working very hard mm. for money, like my money. Like I, yeah. I contribute because we had to go through all those struggles in the camp. You know, our process took nine years up just for us to be able to come to Australia. Mm. And it was gone through a range of interviews, medical checks, um, and then mum fell pregnant with my little sister and and my little brother. And they said, oh, they we had to leave my little brother Bush in, in Africa. And we were like, that's not that's not an option. We will have to wait, whatever, however long we have to wait again mm. to add him. So we had to add him in the form. 
And then it just took another two years of waiting for him. And then finally, when we were finally approved, we were originally coming to Melbourne, actually, because our uncle that was our neighbour is the one that sponsored us. And because our family was very big, he wasn't able to afford all of us. So then another two um, uncles in Perth stepped up mm. and they combined and then they were able to sponsor us. And because you have to go to where your sponsor is. So we, all the induction and all the, everything that we did was about Melbourne, um, coming to Melbourne, finding out about Melbourne. And then I think three, four weeks before we came to Australia, they said, we're going to Perth, Western Australia. And I said, I got a question. Are we still going to Australia? Yeah, yeah. Is that, is Perth still? Some people would say Perth is not part of Australia. They operate their own country. They do. But, <laughs> And that was my question. I'd say, look. Hang on a sec. We're still going to Australia. And they were like, yeah, it's just another state. I said, look, that's all that matters. Well, until I came to Australia. And I was like, whoa, this is very far. Yeah. <laughs> this is a very different, it's a, almost a new country, like a different country. Uh, but yeah, it was amazing just getting the opportunity to, to kind of come. And it was more for mum, um, just because, you know, as a single mum, she's sacrificed so much for us and for us to have a better future, for us to come and get education. That's what Australia was offering, opportunities, opportunities to be able to work, go to school, uh, make something of yourself, which over there in Africa, they were very limited. So for us, um, it was a really good time for mum. So mum, mm. um, yeah, I was very happy for mum. And I remember, like, we had to come to, Nairobi, which is the, the capital city. So it's almost like the dynamics days, like you're in and out. So you, you'll go and spend like six months in the camp and then for like a week or two, you'll come to the city like Melbourne mm -hmm. um, just to kind of like come stock up on things that you need. And then you go back to the camp um, and, and stuff like that. So we stayed in Nairobi for a little bit um, and then we, we kind of had to prepare to come to Australia. Uh, Mum dressed us up like we we're going to the snow. <laughs> She she put us in like puffer jackets. Well, everyone wears puffer jackets here. It's it's a vibe. We're going to Perth. <laughs> they don't wear them up there. Maybe the sleeveless no, ones. No, we don't wear puffer jackets there. And I was like, Mom, <laughs> what is happening? Like, I didn't know there was a snow, but apparently somebody told Mom that it was like a super super cold. So I remember like my puffer jacket was this cute brown with like a bit of red and it was like it was all happening it was very fashionable it was very a catch yeah yeah <laughs> and I was like mom this is a little bit too much and my older sister Sarah and I we were we had um like we were sharing a suitcase um and yeah we just had to put up clothes and just yeah we just set up to this this unknown land really um mm. and then left our our relatives and other family members behind. So yeah, that's mm. that's how it all happened. Yeah, amazing. And can you remember what it was like when you first got to Australia? Like, do you have vivid memories and feelings of that time? Um, yeah, it was, I don't think you can never forget it, honestly. Um, it's the one memory I don't, I choose not to forget. <laughs> um, just because it was such a, I was very plain sick. I was, I had a lot of, um, I was just sick the whole, way from Nairobi to Dubai um, and like, like I didn't even know anything about Dubai it was the first time I got on a plane um, in like 11 years so it was like big it was a big moment it wasn't just like your small plane you see it was like this big plane and mm. I was like wow this is really what the rest of the world is like there is these massive planes um, and I just was sick the whole way um, a lot of us were it was just like it was, it was a mess and then we got to Dubai um, and it was just this airport that was just, I was speechless for mm. a lot of it. Like being in Dubai was just like, is this what we're heading to? Because Jomo Kenyatta airport was different. Yeah. And then you get to Dubai, different. Just, and then you get to Perth, Western Australia. We got there at nighttime on the 17th of May. Um, and yeah, our family, like the family that was sponsoring us, they came down to take us home and yeah it was just really like unreal like it was a cool night it wasn't cold it wasn't like warm it was just a really nice night and it was just like bright lights and cars and it was just all happening and it was just very foreign mm. <laughs> I remember just going whoa imagine getting lost you would not be found yeah <laughs> I was like you get lost you will not be found so you stick to your family um and it was just um you just paint yourself and you go like 
I'm so lucky that I get to come here and that's why I make sure that I take all the opportunities that I get given. I utilize them um, to the best of my ability because I know there are people that would be dying mm. to be in the position that I am in today. So I do not take it one bit for granted and I'm really thankful that mum um, yeah, did all that she did to make sure that we come to Australia. So, yeah. yeah. And I can imagine, like, when I think about my own family, like my mum's parents and my dad's parents made those trips to Australia and I think about the sacrifices they made to give their kids a better life, which meant that we've had a better life. So I can't imagine how strong that connection would be if that's your own mother um, and, like, a single mother too, having to raise all these kids. Like, I can imagine that would give you so much strength and um, belief in what you can do for your own life. A hundred percent. Yeah. Amazing. Um, I was going to ask, how did you find yourself in football or how did football find you? Oh, Footy and I, um, we had a very interesting relationship. Tell um, me we, about it, the ups and downs. <laughs> the ups and downs, it's been great. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's all about, I think it's just all about the, the learnings really. Um, I came to Australia at the perfect time. I came 2005 west coast eagles were lit like lit <laughs> is the word to describe that team um and i remember just sitting there watching this game one day just like sitting i'm just like what is happening it's all these people running around short shorts long socks like it was just, it was all happening and i was just like this is cool i just i want to know about it i want to know more i and then um, they went in the grand final. I didn't actually understand anything at my grand finals, but I was like, look, they're in the final, I think. Um, and I already knew about team sports because I grew up with my brothers that played soccer and they were massive Arsenal fans. So I just naturally became an Arsenal fan and I used to carry my brother's boots. I was not allowed to play um, sports back in Africa, all that stuff. So when I came to Australia, I started seeing all these kids playing footy mm-hmm. at the park, um, soccer and all that. And I was like, wow, this is really, really cool. Um, and then, yeah, that's it. I just fell in love with the West Coast Eagles and I just barracked for them like I barracked for them hard like it was almost <laughs> like I was a fan for the for all my life and it was this one I think I watched like the end of the season so from May to September that was when I watched the season mm-hmm. and I just fell in love with this team and I was like this is really cool so I became a, a very mad West Coast fan and then I went to school later that year um, and then we went and um, did intensive English center so in intensive English center you pretty much you're pretty much in there just to try and get ease into school life. So you're not like full into like mainstream school and then it's mm-hmm. like all too much. So the intensive English center at Aramore Catholic College, ACC what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> Shout out to ACC. Um, it was it was really good. And then what we found quickly was that there was another, a lot of kids from South Sudan um, and other African countries that were there. So it kind of made the transition really, really easy. Um, and then every term we would play different sports. So one term we would play cricket. I was never good at cricket, so mm. rest in peace. Good call. <laughs> good call. <laughs> I can only bowl. I cannot bat. Yeah. So for cricket, Same. I sat most of the time. I sat just on the grass, like yeah. looking at the people, acting like I was busy. Yeah, were your eyes shut when you bat? Because that was my downfall. I <laughs> I shut my eyes when I try to swing and it would either be a six or out. Out? Just yeah, probably out, out, out most of the time. <laughs> yeah, so I didn't even have a strategy because okay. I just I didn't even understand it. So I just was like, no, I'm not playing this game. Yeah. Um, soccer was my, my go-to. I was a very good soccer player. So my so- soccer was life. Soccer was life. Mm-hmm. And I did that every day, every minute. I was playing soccer with my friends at school, four squares and the lot. And then... Um, then they will, then they did a, a, a time where they they did um, a trip out to to Fremantle, and we went and got to meet like the Aaron, Aaron Sandlin and mm. uh, Matthew Publish who was at the time, and I was like, oh, this is so boring. <laughs> <laughs> who are these so guys? Like, these tall men. I was just sitting there like. I was like a total savage. I was like, I hope they don't remember. I just sat there with like <laughs> resting, like pe- you know, face proper. And I was like a hardcore West Coast fan, like, you haven't won a premiership. <laughs> Who are you to be telling me about yeah. footy? Like, but it was a really good, like, they did like clinics and 
Um, and then every once in a while at school, we would do like little clinics where we'll just be like learning how to handball, kick and stuff like that. So that's how I got introduced to playing footy, but it wasn't like, it didn't click. Mm. And it wasn't until year 10 where I was just walking, minding my business as I normally do at school, walking everywhere, I'm everywhere at school. Everyone's like, catch you. Do you have, are you ever in class? I'm like, Yeah. Yeah, Duh, I'm going there now, late. Um, <laughs> and then they were like, my my head of um, sports, um, Mr. Craig Tom, yeah Thomas was like, hey, a coach, um, there's this girls carnival. Why don't you go and try it out with the East Perth Football Club? And I was like, oh, okay, cool, whatever. So I took the flyer, mm-hmm. put it in my bag, and a week later he was like, did you call? I was like, um, no, sir, I forgot. I was like fully, like I fully soccer player like I was yeah. a professional soccer player like I did not care about it. I didn't want to play any other sport I was very good at basketball but I just was so invested in soccer that yeah. I did not care about anything else and he he reminded me again a week later and he was like hey we actually need to get you did you call them so mm. we called the people um and then I went to one training session and our coach introduced the team and it was like this group of girls from just every school and then they, they did a tackling drill <laughs> And they were like, oh, is there a volunteer? And one girl, Amy, like put her hand up. It's like, yeah, yeah. So the coach was standing there. She took out the coach. I tackled the coach. (laughs) (laughs) And I sat there like, yeah, I'm not supposed to be here. (laughs) This this isn't the same as soccer tackling. What? You just took out the coach. I couldn't even think this man's going to get up today. Like, took cold. Like, I was shook. Like, I was shocked. I was like. Yeah, no, nah, I don't think footy's for me. Mm. Um, but the guy was like, he got up and we got to the training session like nothing happened. And I remember that day and I was like, wow, that is footy. If you put yourself in a position like that, you will get tackled and you will die. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. <laughs> don't do it. Survival but instinct. Don't, in. don't, don't do that, a catch. Um, but I just kept stubbing me. I just kept going back and... Mm. Two more training sessions and then we did the, the carnival. It was a day carnival. And then they put me up on the wing. I was just running up and down. I watched a bit of like, I was a massive fan of Nick Nanui mm-hmm. um, and Ben Cousins and Chris Judd and David Wurupanda. And I just really loved how they just played footy. They just yeah. attacked, attacked, attacked. Got the ball foot forward at all costs. And I was like, this is cool. So that's pretty much all I did. I just pretty much modeled my game off those people for that one day. And my athletics coach, Lindsey Bunn, um, who we went to Narogen and came back and he took me to the game. He sat on the side, like I didn't even ask, he said bye and I was like, oh, bye Lindsey. He sat on the side and he was just watching and he was like, after the game, he was like, we had like four games that day. He was like, you're very good at footy. He was mm. like, you're just a natural. And I was like, oh no, it was boring. And he was like, no, no, you are very good. And then they gave me like the best, player for the day for the carnival and I was like oh thanks cool whatever but it was what I really really remembered from that day was just how the families took me in like Mm. my coach just dropped me and I just went there to play footy but all these families like my new teammates Mm. and their mums and dads they were like giving me oranges and like yeah I saw that quote the oranges yeah you were like whoa (laughs) these parents are giving me oranges what is up I was like what Wow. Oranges are a superfood. <laughs> Halftime huddle. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, it's just just that 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 extra people accepting you mm. um, yep. just really drew me, and I, that's what I really remembered from that day. And then, mm. um, yeah, when played soccer for a couple of a couple of years, I still wasn't convinced after that great day. Um, and then, yeah, I was like, okay, finally, I'm gonna let me try. And then I I heard my cartilage that. I think 2011, um, mm. I heard my cartilage and it was just like this pain and I got to clean up and it was like weeks of recovery. Um, and then I I was volunteering at a, a, a non-profit organisation called the Admin Rice Centre um, and they said, hey, do, do you want to come and play for the boys team? And I said, um, okay. And it was a, like all these young refugees, migrant kids that were like learning footy. Um, and I was like, okay, cool, I'll come and play with the boys. And yeah, it was just amazing just being in that environment where all these kids were coming from so many different, like we had kids from Congo, Afghanistan, everywhere. But we just wanted to come and learn footy. Um, and obviously being the only girl, um, I kicked better than them. I understood the game a bit better than them. Um, and then they were like, okay, we're going to make a catch our captain. 
So they made me the captain for that season. We played, I think, nine games. Mm-hmm. Um, in our first game, I kicked the first goal for the season and they just the boys just lost it and they like the just the amount of respect they gave me i was just like wow this is this is what footy is about this is what this game is able to do bring all these different people together um and then i was like okay finally i put i was like yep let me let me try footy so i called the guy again at um at um east perth his name is brendan mcfowell and i was like hey brendan I'm in Maraboka. Is there a team that's nearby that I can go play for? And he's like, yeah, actually, I've been waiting for this call um, for a very long time. Mm. He said, we've got the Mount Lawley Hawks, which are in our district. You can go and play with them. So, yeah, I started, I went down, played at Mount Lawley um, for the season. And then a couple of weeks later, I got a phone call from the state team. And they were like, we would love to have you come down and trial for the state team. I was like, oh, okay. So I went to like the state triads and there's like Chelsea Randall, Kirby Bentley, Kiara mm. Bowers, there's all, yeah. all these for superstars like um, Cara Antonio, all these mm-hmm. superstars. And I was like, wow, these are going to be my new teammates. Um, and then, yeah, went to State, went to Cairns. I was, my roommate was Kirby Bentley. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just amazing just having that kind of like interaction with all these amazing um, women that have just are pioneers of this this game. Um, and yeah, it's just bouncing ideas off them. I was this skinny young Sassoonese girl that was playing in the rock. In the middle of the bounce down, I remembered one game, I was fixing my hair because my yeah. bun fell. <laughs> <laughs> and I went for the tap and I was like, what do I do? Because <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this is a nightmare. Um, and then yeah, footy just kind of took off from there. And yeah. then the year after, um, I got a phone call from um, the little rock star, um, Nicole Graves, mm-hmm. and it was like, hey, they used they call me Susie in Perth. It's like we need to talk about your 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 progression. And at the time my and Lolly were going to reserves. I didn't really want to go to reserves, so I kinda mm. was like, Yeah, like let's let's chat. So I went down to Swan District and then yeah, I was at Swan District until I moved to Victoria in two thousand and eighteen. Um and then obviously got the the AFL announced that the AFLW is gonna be launched. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. I remember I was driving to work and had to pull over to the side. And I actually weirdly pulled over in front of my first ever house in Australia. Um, ah. It was so weird. And I was like, oh. Just by chance. Just so by you chance. you heard that news, you pulled over. Pulled and over. And you looked anywhere outside yeah. your house. I was outside my that's old amazing. house. And I was like, oh, that's weird. And yeah, they were like, the license goes to Fremantle. And I was like, oh, great for them. I, I would have hoped West Coast. <laughs> being yeah. the West Coast fan I am. But I was yeah. like, you know what, at least we get a WA team. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and I was just very happy. And then obviously there's all the stuff happened and um, I got a phone call one day from Michelle Cowan. I was like, hey, we want you to come down and try out as a rock. So I went down and did a try day as yeah. a rock. And then I was actually procrastinating to put in my application. Mm. And Gracie was like, did you nominate? <laughs> and I was like, no, he's like, okay, I'm going to come over and nominate for you. If you're not going to do it, I will do it. And I was like, fine, I'll do it. So I sat down, filled out the form that day. Um, and then, yeah, it was just like this waiting game where it was just like, yeah, you just sit and hope. And then it was like that Wednesday morning. Um, mm. I told my family, guys, there's the AFL women's draft. Maybe somebody stay home with me. They were like, yeah, yeah no problem. And then so Wednesday morning came, everyone left. <laughs> Yeah. And I was left at home with my niece, Sharifa. She was sleeping. I was like, this does not help me at all. <laughs> Who's going to film the reaction video? <laughs> not even the reaction video. Who's going to hug me? Yeah. <laughs> if I don't get drafted, yeah, who's going to yeah, give, yeah. me, give me cuddles if yeah. this doesn't work out? Um, but yeah, I was just sitting there and they were like denouncing all the rounds. And then mm. the last round, Fremantle had their pick and it was 139. And I was like, oh, good good for them. What, what like these women's dreams become true you know and then they the man called out something and I totally missed it because I don't even know what he said <laughs> and then I looked on the screen because I was watching on the computer as your picture it's my picture <laughs> and my name and I was yeah. like oh. hang on did I just get drafted and I was like whoa the reason I missed it was because he just butchered my name mm-hmm. he just did not say my name properly and I was just like that man made me miss my name, yeah, they called name. out, but thank yeah. God for my picture. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then, yeah, it was just this wave of emotions of just, whoa, like, this is, this is, 
This is wild. Like, I don't know what's about to come, but to, to be a part of the first inaugural AFL women's competition, like this, um, yeah, I just never imagined, like, a young girl coming from a refugee camp being drafted yeah. and now potentially going to be playing mm. AFL women's. Like, I saw the pioneers like Majak Dow and Mabir Chol and Alira Lear and these guys, and I really looked up to them when I was, like, you know, watching football and now to be able to be a part of that and, mm. you know, support the growth of, of, of football, I was like, this yeah. this is this is incredible. And then the community got a hold of it and everyone just got around me and then Fremantle called that day and just congratulated me, welcomed me into the team. And then, yeah, the season just started. So that's pretty much how it all started. Yeah, yeah. what a whirlwind. It sounded like there was a lot of, like, push and pull like you were kind of with footy, it sounded like you were kind of like not all in, yeah. but you had people like pushing you back in yeah. every step of the way, whether it was your your coach who followed up or Nicole Graves. And, you know, it's crazy how people just seem to push you in the right path along the way. Yep, That's awesome. And that's what I found with footy. It's just that mm. people are just so invested in, in you. Yeah. They see potential in you they are willing to really help you. And mm. I think that's what I really got because when I played soccer, I was a very, very good soccer player. Like some people would argue that I'm a better soccer player than a footy player. Yeah. And I always say to them, I know I'm a very good soccer player, but footy provided me the opportunities mm. that got me somewhere. As for soccer, they just didn't for so many other reasons. So, yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm kind of glad that it kind of worked out this way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it is a very um, supportive network, which it is. is pretty amazing to be part of. And also uh, in Australia, like if you're part of an AFL team, you get you'll get that platform to become a hero in, a, in Australia, which is yeah, how does that make you feel? Um, it's it's really good. I think, you know, I always tell people representation matter mm-hmm. um, and especially the landscape we're in there where, you know, as much as, you know, kids aspire to be X, Y, Z people, they also want to see themselves reflected mm. in society. So when they see themselves in an, in an athlete or a lawyer or a doctor, mm-hmm. they're like, wow, if they can do that, I can do that. Yeah. It, and it's just now going in and asking the questions of what they had to do to navigate this every single situations or obstacle that came in. So um, yeah, I, I always wear it as a privilege because it's it's for me, you know, for me I had a lot of no's. Like growing up, my, my older brother was very against me playing sports because of mm-hmm. that cultural um, difference of that sports was always for boys. And when we came yeah. to Australia, he wanted me to study and, uh, you know, have a better life somewhere without sports he just didn't see sports as an opportunity or an avenue um so for me he pushed me towards the educational side of things um and then i really had to push back and go hey i'm actually very good at this stuff i want to do it um and it's then he then trusted me to be able to do that and now he's like my number one supporter almost so it's telling kids that you there's all these obstacles are in the way but you, anything is possible if you mm. put your mind and you work hard, really. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's It's such an important message. And I think, yeah, especially people being able to see themselves in footy is such a powerful yeah. visual. Um, and I was going to ask you a little bit about, uh, because we're both uh, multicultural ambassadors, so what uh, I guess what does it feel like working in that space and being able to, I guess, you've already given so much to the game, but now you get to reach out to to kids who perhaps don't wouldn't have thought they had a place in AFL or wouldn't have seen themselves reflected but now that you're here um, you're able to give that um, I guess show that pathway as well yeah. yeah how does it sort of feel to be able to do that um it's it's really good I really love the the AFL multicultural ambassador program because mm-hmm. it it really allows us like um, as as ambassadors to go into our communities and you know, spread exactly what we're talking about here, that inclusive environment where, you know, people can come in and you kind of find a a supportive network of people that will support you in everything, you know, like Mm -hmm. 
if I ever struggled with something, I went to my footy teammates and be like, hey, guys, I need, do you guys know any gardener or yeah. somebody that can help me with this? Um, they would recommend a family member or someone. Mm-hmm. So it's then being able to relay that message to the community so that they know that it's, it is it is a safe space and that they can be a part of it and find a place to belong. Like for me, I know, you know, I found my feet. It's a place where I feel like I'm accepted and yeah. I belong in is almost a, f- a family to me. Um, so it's 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 really amazing being able to do that and having the power to represent your community mm-hmm. that way because, yeah, um, a lot of it comes back to you can't be what you can't see. Um, and we get we allow the, our communities to do that, to see themselves in what we do. And then hopefully mm-hmm. that inspires them to not just only play even AFLW or AFL, but also to they can become administrators, they can become, you know, whatever it is, umpires. There's so many different avenues that they can take. So it's then giving them those opportunities that there's actually a lot of a lot of opportunities in the industry um, if they wanted to. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, um, like you and I, I feel like as you grow, you become even more proud of your own culture. But I think certainly having the opportunity to be supported by the AFL through that work, um, I think it instills you with a lot of confidence um, that you're influencing in the right way as well. So I I think it's, it's so awesome. Um, I was going to ask a little bit about because I feel like you naturally use your platform a lot to speak out about change and and influencing others and I guess just sharing parts of yourself um, to help people understand what it's like to to be um, from a, a refugee background or to to look different to what other people might you know, might hold uh, different ideas about and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, But I wanted to, I guess, ask if you feel like culture is changing. I think at the moment, as we sit down today, like it's been a big few weeks in footy um, with the Collingwood Do Better report, um, Eddie Maguire stepping down. Um, I just wanted to hear sort of how you're feeling at the moment. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day. It's It's just been a big year. Um, yeah. it's been it's been a continuous from last year to this year with mm-hmm. the whole Black Lives Matter um, 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 movement, and then obviously now with the with everything that's happening in in, in our industry as well. And I think, um, especially as a as a as a black woman, I really utilize my space because mm-hmm. you know I can easily sit there and be like, oh yeah, I'm just an I'm just an AFLW player. That's that's my role, but I have a much bigger role than that. Um, because you know I'm a black woman that constantly faces racism. Um, I have a community that faces racism. Um, we are constantly target um, from the media, from the the public, and and the lot. So I can't afford to sit back and just watch that happen. So for me, I need to utilize my space, even though it's it's not a big platform, but it's you know the people that I have are enough for me to get the message across and trying to help educate them. It's not to tell people off. I think the times of telling people off are finished now and it's the opportunity now so that we can educate, share information so that people can take those information and go and have those conversations that are needed, have their round tables conversation, have those really, you know, honest conversations that will be like, ask yourself the question, am I, you know, am I a racist? Is Australia yeah. racist? Those conversations that um, I think they trigger a lot of, com- like they trigger a few people, and it's like, if you're a, you're, even on, if you're not a person of color, if you never face racism, you will never know if Australia is not racist because yeah. you've never had to experience what we experience on the daily. You know, for me as a as a football player, I do not catch public transport because when I'm on the fil- football field, when wearing my Richmond stuff. People give me the respect, but when I'm every day out in the community, dressed the way I'm dressed, you know, going about my daily life, which is a lot of times, um, I don't get the same back. I'm targeted. I'm treated like everyone else. So for me, I can't afford to sit back and just, you know, let my community suffer and go through that. So, um, and I utilize my platform to also tell other athletes and people that, you know, want to represent the community that it's okay. Because at the end of the day, sports is one thing. Sports is one element of your life. 
but your community is a bigger element of who you are. So it's then understanding where you stand there. Because for me, you know, sport's going to leave one day. I'm going to retire and I'm going to need to go back to my community. And if I haven't um, done the right thing and stood up for my community, um, then I haven't really achieved anything uh, really as a sports person. And as a p- person that they see with a, with a platform or with, with some, some sort of power. So um, I think it's, yeah, I think that's why I do that. And it's, um, it's really frustrating because this week uh, people have been calling and like trying to get my, my feedback and stuff. And I'm just like, I'm tired. I'm honestly exhausted because it's not my job to continually educate people on what they know already. Yeah. It's not information that they don't know. It's not new information, is it? It's nope. yeah. It's you know what you need to do. Mm. Um and yeah, it's I always tell people this whole um, you know, conversation on racism, um, on equal rights, all that stuff. It's not a reactive conversation. It should not be something that something happens and we go and address it with some statement or some letters, whatever. That's that's what that's people do. Times yeah. have changed. This has to be a 365 days conversation because these are people's lives we're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, it has impact on your 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 self-esteem, your mental health, um, you know, the way you interact in the community. I have a lot of family members that just don't want to associate with the white community just because they're like it's just too much. Like they they don't feel like they belong there. Every single time they, they people see us like we are a threat, you know, we're part of some gang, and it's like mm-hmm. the only gang I'm a part of is the Richmond Football Club, the Richmond <laughs> the Football Club, the gang. black, the the yellow and black army. Like, what are you talking about? You yeah. know what I mean? But it's that that stereotype. So a lo- there's a lot of anxiety from people in my own community, mm-hmm. where even when I go and speak in the media, like I get family members that call me, and they're like, we're very worried, you know. So it's that worry that people have to constantly. There's this fear that. You cannot stand up for yourself because somebody else is going to prosecute you for it or somebody else is going to take your contract away. And I'm like, you know what, mate, I only get paid like $15,000. Like, it's okay. You can have it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't have that much to lose. (laughs) Like, I got nothing to lose. You know what I mean? As for my community, we got a lot to lose because Mm -hmm. these are my future kids we're talking about. These are my little cousins, my siblings who constantly have to be put through these things that I went through. You know, I got po- called uh, um, by some guy when I was 16. I got We got called all sorts of names. He said, you ugly black slides. If I had a gun, I'll shoot you guys. If I had, um, if I had a, like, a plane, I'll take you back to your country, go back to where you come from. Mm-hmm. And he just abused us all kind of, and that stayed with me. I'm 28 now, and that happened when I was 16. And yeah. that stays with you for the rest of your life. See it in into who you are like it they're they're not comments that you can brush off and and I think um with that like with the conversations about racism if you have the opportunity to hear something and think I'm just gonna brush that off that's your moment to speak up because for people who are actually in those minorities and the people who are targeted by them you don't get to brush that off that is seared into your your being um, and will always stick with you. Like I've been, feel fortunate. I've only um, had the like racism against me a couple of times, but those moments, they don't go away. You, you very, they stick with you for life. So yeah, I, I think it's so admirable what you're doing every single day. Um, and the way you, uh, the way you talk on your platform, it's really an empowering message and a very positive message. But I know the work that goes into that is draining and exhausting um, and you're constantly having to turn that negative energy into something positive um, that you can, I guess, influence change with. So, And I think that's what mum told me is that yeah. the, the ability because there's, so, like, there's so many different spaces that you get yourself in mm. um, and you have to find a positive somewhere. Yeah. And for me, I have three, I always have three categories of people that are in this world. You have the ones that are with you on your journey that are going to support you, that are going to love you, whether they're white people, Asian people, whatever it is. Those people have you. They will be with you on your journey. Those people 
those people will always be with you. And then there's the middle people, the people that are just like, oh, we're just questioning. They're like on the fence. They're just a bit like, oh, we're just not sure. You know, she's just a bit too loud. She speaks too much about racism, like stuff like that. There's those people and those people are good because they're at least questioning. They want to learn. Yeah. And then there are those people that are just like, no, nah, we don't want to know about this. Everyone else go back to where you come from. And it's like, um, yeah, we all come from somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is all like indigenous people's land, really. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we've, we're all visitors here. Yeah. So if anything, that's why I'm very, also very passionate about talking about, you know, how I can best support my indigenous brothers and sisters. Because as a visitor, I don't get to just come and sit on my ass and just not speak up on the injustices that they get to face. So um, when I look at those three people, you look at the third person, oh, only a few of them will come come around and they will mm-hmm. come around over time. And then there's those that you just cannot change. Yeah. That's okay. Those yeah. people, you deal with the two first people. Yeah, yeah. Those two first people, they will, they'll, the, the middle people join you in the journey mm. over time. Yeah. With, and, with conversations that are empowering, mm. that are able to assist them to have better education, to actually understand what is their responsibility. You know, I have a responsibility to you um, and to my neighbours. That's my responsibility. Like I saw my neighbour yesterday, she was sitting on the on the thing and I was really I got I was coming home from training it was like 10 o'clock I was just really just a man but I was very observant I was observing and I was like I went and I came out I was like are you okay and she was like oh yeah yeah I'm all good I'm just getting some fresh air and I was like oh awesome so that's my responsibility to my neighbor like I just can't see her sitting outside at night and I think think about her yeah so it's those middle people are those people that are willing to ask questions and Eventually, over time, they'll come to the journey. So um, with anything, everything needs to be a conversation that has solutions and has, you know, people coming to the table, sharing ideas, because we're such a diverse community, Australia, mm-hmm. and we don't utilise that enough where we can come and have a round t- table discussion, come up with different ideas mm-hmm. and how we can actually fix the problems that we have as a nation. Yeah. But instead, we have people that have their way, the tunnel vision this is how we're going to do it, and that's that. And same people having the same, same discussions about yeah. <laughs> the same topics that don't affect them. No, at all. Yeah. yeah. So that's exactly, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think, I hope the conversation is shifting. Um, I think people are starting to understand that if you're not including all different people in the conversation, you're not really having the conversation. You're just mumbling about something else. Yeah. Um, you're there for yourself yeah and it's mostly um yeah because it's i was yeah and i said i said this i said we're in the world now where anyone no one is safe you can think that you are the most powerful person Mm -hmm. in this universe Mm -hmm. you're not safe anymore because we got the tools now the people Mm -hmm. the army that are willing to go you know what enough is enough yeah you have to go and they will stand up for that and i love that and that's that's what makes me really excited and that's what that's why we can't afford because you utilize your platform so amazingly as well and i so the more of us do that mm. the better it is for the community yeah. because that's us putting out a message that we're not going to take it anymore mm. yeah yeah so we're creating our own spaces yeah. and taking over the takeover is going to be real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're not ready. <laughs> well, on that note, um, I remember last year, I think before the first game, you were chatting about what's next for a catch. You were talking about emceeing more. You were saying you need your own TV show. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not sure where that's gotten to. But what's happening in your life now and, and what are you – what's the next project? Um, yeah, there's a lot. Um, it's been – obviously pre-season was pretty – different this year it was a mm-hmm. very wild pre it was a covid preseason um and yeah so now it's just, it's given me a bit of time to really i guess find my passion projects and things that i really really love and i really love mentoring and i think uh, mentoring is one of those untapped spaces and mm-hmm. um i really want to give back to my community that way so i'm working on a little project at the moment it's called noeza um and basically noeza means I can, uh, and it's. I think I want to utilize that plat- platform of mentoring to mentor young people from my community um, and even other communities as well, if they want um, to be mentored, um, to give them the opportunity just to kind of find, find, 
you know, be empowered because I feel like a lot of kids that I speak to, they're just very disempowered and they're having, they're having a lot of disempowering conversations with themselves. I grew up as the go-getter kid, the kid that was like, yep, the only thing that I was very scared of was heights and snakes and that was the only thing, that was, the, that was my limit, like that was it, that was the only thing I wasn't doing but everything else was just like, I was full going to have a go and I want to utilise my, my mentoring program to give kids that just unleash them, just give them the opportunity to just have energy and go after things, you know, because I always say if you create one dream, like I was a soccer player for a very long time, that dream didn't happen. I then went and created another dream. I became an AFL player. Mm -hmm. If this dream doesn't happen, there's always television. I can try and explore. Go on The Bachelorette because yeah. still, I'm still looking for a husband. <laughs> so hopefully I'll be going on The Bachelorette soon. <laughs> um, <laughs> Can you imagine me on we'll the get you there. Yeah. yeah, can you guys? I, I would me? actually let's, watch. Let's I would sign a petition. Be to that. <laughs> sign a petition, somebody. Um, but I was always creating dreams. I was always, if one thing didn't work, create something else. And um, I think what that's what COVID really allowed me to do: try different things, learn different things, and um, yeah, it's just been been really cool. Um, so yeah, this this project is um, hasn't been launched yet, but I'm really looking forward to. Um, launching it and getting a few people. So we're, we're looking to be um, doing workshops outside, um, like utilising park spaces as well. I think that's very untapped where a lot of mentoring programs are inside, just kids not like, I actually want to take them out, go hiking, do cultural sessions, um, life skills as well. It's massive. I'm massive. Like I know where my stuff are, like just having my life together is just amazing. And I want to help young people have that, have that structure where they can just come home to an, a space where they just love and they call their own. So, um, yeah, there's going to be different components. It's going to be very a cage-like, um, just all over the place, if everyone knows. Um, but I just really want to give back to the community that way, utilising my resources and the things that are the connections that I have um, and, and stuff. So, yeah, that's what that's what's happening. Unreal. That yeah. sounds that sounds amazing. Um, and I'm yeah. I think the effect that you can have on the next generation coming through is limitless. Um, and in terms of all those dreams, that yeah, it's going to be amazing. I, yeah, I can't wait to see um, what you do with that in that space. So, thank you, thank you so much um, for having this chat. A catch. We didn't really talk about football at all, yeah. but it's all linked in with football, yeah. um, and that's what I love about you. Um, the way you're able to do so much through footy as well. So good luck for the rest of the season. Um, <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be interesting. We don't know what's going to happen, but we're, we're going to get through it. And I think that's what the the this the mindset of every single player um, mm. is this year is just roll with the punches and that's rolls it. with the it changes every minute. Roll with the lockdowns. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, so whatever that gets thrown us us at us, we just get through it as as a team. Um, and yeah, the, every single girl, every club has 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 just been phenomenal in doing it. So mm. I know my 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 teammates have just been incredible. Like no complaining, just get on with the things we need to do. It's what you can control right now, you deal with what you can control. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Unreal. It's gonna be good. Let's get it. Let's get it. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Akesh. <laughs> Thank you so much. No problem.